In his book, The Emotionally Healthy Disciple, he's kind of created an empire out of this, Pete Scazzaro, I don't know if you've heard of him, Pastor Arthur, he has The Emotionally Healthy Church, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and now Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Uh, but in this book, he, he warns that doing for God can often crowd out our being with God. This fall at Park Community Church, we're looking at different disciples of Jesus in the New Testament and how they walked with Jesus. And as we look at different disciples, we're going to see a lot of activity, a lot of doing. Walking is an active thing. It's not a passive thing. To get from point A to point B or to keep moving forward, you have to keep moving. You have to be active. There is some duty. But Pete Scazzaro warns that oftentimes in the church and in our discipleship efforts, we get so busy doing, doing, doing that we forget to be. He refers to this as human doing rather than human being. And he's not the only one who's identified this. There's a bunch of TED Talks and articles out there. If you Google human being versus human doing, you're, you're going to see a lot of this. And, and the warning is that right now in our society, in our culture, and even in our churches, there's so much activity that our activity can often outpace our identity, that our doing can outpace our being. And so Pete Scazzaro rightly warns the church against this, that if you're going to be an emotionally healthy disciple, you have to make sure that your activity for God doesn't outpace your identity in God. And I can tell you how true this was for me this last spring. Before I went on sabbatical, thank you, church family, for supporting sabbatical rest and rhythms for your pastors. So needed and so necessary. Before I went on sabbatical, I was trapped in this reality of being, of doing before being. I forgot who I was in God. I forgot that Jesus wanted a relationship with me more than he wanted my duty and my service. I'm going to just share with you some, some pretty... Uh, dark thoughts that I wrote out this spring before I went on sabbatical. And I'm going to show you the cleaner parts of it. There's some dark stuff in here, but it's titled The Root of My Frustration. And here's, here's some of what was swirling in my head and heart this spring before I went on sabbatical. I wrote, as a pastor in this season, I feel like I'm expected to know something about everything and or do something about everything. Like, what are we supposed to do and think about poverty, injustice, politics, COVID, masks and vaccinations, or no masks and no vaccinations, speaking in tongues and other charismatic gifts, baptism, baby dedication, God's sovereignty and human responsibility, or classically known as Calvinism versus Arminianism, adoption, abortion, foster care, care for the immigrant and refugees, white supremacy, Christian nationalism, systemic racism, critical race theory, liberal media, conservative media, progressive theology, conservative theology, orphan care, widow care, abuse of the elderly in nursing homes, providing meals for new moms at church, providing meals and food and clothing and shelter for homeless people, reaching the lost, discipling the found, improving our building. It's not done yet. I lost my list. There's so much here. Developing leaders, strengthening our ministries, hiring new staff, giving to missions, caring for missionaries, planting new churches, revitalizing old churches, theological depth in worship, substance and style in preaching, depth and width of small groups, multiplication of small groups, members and attender retention, abusive marriages, struggling marriages, 
LGBTQ plus community and how to respond and how to think about and engage that gender dysphoria and addiction and depression and mental health and money management and spiritual gifts, assessments and utilization, member mobilization, leadership pipelines, emergency phone protocols, parking lot resurfacing. If you drove into our parking lot this morning, you know that's an issue. Kids checking in process and procedures, health of the staff, the leaders, the members, etc., etc., etc. And here's the thing. All of that matters. It's the world and the culture that we're swimming in and, and people who are dealing with real issues and hard things. And, and this may not be your list. Like, I, I'm a pastor, so I have some things that I get pulled into that the average person doesn't get pulled into, but you get pulled into other things that a pastor doesn't get pulled into. And we have all of these things swirling. And what am I supposed to care about these things? How do I care about these things? How do I involve myself in these things? What do I do about these things? Because if I love God and love others, I need to care about what God cares about. And certainly he cares about all of this. And if I love others, I need to care about what they care about. And certainly they care about these things. And so how do I do this? I'm burnt out. I'm, I, I'm, I, I don't have time. I don't have capacity. I don't have the knowledge to wrap my mind around all these things and how to think rightly and biblically about these things, let alone do something about all of it. So maybe your list differs, differs a little bit than mine, but certainly you have a list of things that distract you, things that frustrate you, and things that simply keep you too busy doing to slow down to be. And today we're going to look at two disciples of Jesus who can teach us what it looks like for us to slow down to be with Jesus. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've heard about Mary and Martha, and you probably already have associations with this passage and with these two disciples and what it looks like to be Mary versus being Martha. But today I want us to enter into this story and see what Jesus would teach us about what it means to slow down and to be with him. So I'm going to ask that you stand as I read our text for today. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. It's on page 869 in the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Lord, this morning, help us to choose the good portion which cannot be taken away. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, this text is frustrating to me, and I know it's frustrating to many of you. As I talk with people about this text, they're like, poor Martha. Like, life requires Martha-ness, doesn't it? Life requires doing things. Martha invited Jesus and his whole crew, his whole gang into her home, and she's concerned about being a good host, about practicing good hospitality. She wants to make sure that they're well cared for. She's busy serving Jesus. That's good. We ought to serve Jesus, right? We ought to care about others and how we can serve Jesus. And we can't just spend our lives sitting at Jesus' feet like Mary. Mary's likely the younger sister. 
Martha is likely the owner of the home, and she feels a little bit more responsibility. If you're in a relationship with siblings, oftentimes the older one carries the burden and the weight of responsibility a little bit more, and the younger ones are like, what do you mean there's stuff to do? I'm just hanging out, having fun. I'm like in the middle, so I don't know, I do what I want, but there, there, there's this, this reality here that, that Martha's just, she's got something going on in her soul, but she's busy doing good things. And so there's this frustration that we often have, and oftentimes preachers and podcasters and blogs don't help with this because they just kind of throw Martha under the bus and say you got to be a Mary and not a Martha. But the reality is we all know it. Life has responsibilities. Things have to get done. Somebody has to wake the kids up, drag them out of bed, get them breakfast, pack their lunch, brush their teeth, make sure their clothes are on, make sure their shoes are tied, make sure they get on the school bus, make sure they get to school, and then check your email, go to work, get your job done, get the kids off the bus, help them unpack their lunch, lunch that they didn't eat and get ready for the next day and then run to sports and run to community group and or you don't have kids and you're running from work to things to the next thing to this friend group to that friend group trying to keep your apartment in order trying to pay your bills whatever it is life has stuff that needs to get done you can't just say no and perpetually sit at the feet of Jesus and I want you to know that's not what Jesus is getting at here in this text the big idea that, that we need to wrap our minds around this morning is that disciples keep walking with Jesus by learning when and how to sit and serve. When and how to sit and serve. We're going to look at Mary and Martha a little bit deeper and, and try to understand what Jesus is trying to get at here with this experience. I want you to notice, too, before we go on, just, just open up your Bible. If it's not already open, keep it open. Look at this, that right before the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus has just told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I'm not going to read the story or talk much about it, other than I just want you to notice it. Jesus gives this parable, which is all about serving. It's all about inconveniencing yourself for the sake of somebody in need. It's all about going the extra mile, inconveniencing yourself, making yourself uncomfortable, dying to self for the sake of helping somebody in need. So certainly Jesus isn't saying that serving others is wrong, that Martha is just wrong because, she's cared about, because she cares about serving, right? There's this tension here in Scripture which you need to sit with. I think maturity comes as we sit in the tensions. It's not that, yes, we need to serve, 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 burn ourselves out, out with serving, or we just need to sit, sit, sit and practice contemplative spirituality and go be a monk in a monastery where I just spend my time with God. No, no, it's both. Keep these in tension. I think Jesus purposefully puts these things together to keep the tension that we're called to both sit and to serve. It's not one or the other. And so keep that in mind, that there's some uniqueness here that this experience with Mary and Martha comes right out of Jesus' teaching about the Good Samaritan. Before we look more specifically at this text, which we're going to do this morning, I want us to have a greater understanding of who Mary and Martha are and just kind of their, their interaction with Jesus. And so we're going to look at a couple other texts and then we're going to come back to this text. But before we do, I just... I want to keep in mind this big idea here that disciples keep walking with Jesus by learning when and how to sit and serve, that it's both and, it's not one or the other, and if we don't lose this, we'll either deconstruct our faith or we'll distract ourselves with religious duty and we won't have relationship with Jesus. And these are the two of the biggest concerns 
in the American church right now. That people are deconstructing their faith. They're walking away from a faith that they used to formerly profess that they had because they haven't learned when and how to sit and serve. And so there's not this deep well of intimacy with God, this security of relationship with God that can span the doubts, span the frustrations, and span the disappointments. Life is full of doubt, frustration, and disappointment. And all of us, disciples who walk with Jesus, we have doubts, we have frustrations, and we have disappointments. And if we're going to keep walking with Jesus through our doubts, frustrations, and disappointments, we need to have this deep relational connection with him when we can say, God, I don't understand what, what you're doing. I don't understand why you did that. I don't understand why you allowed this or why you caused this, but, but I'm here. I'm going to keep walking with you. And if we don't learn how and when to sit and serve, we'll, we'll, we'll give up because life is hard and things don't always make sense. Or Maybe, maybe you're not as, you're like, you don't have the freedom to deconstruct your faith or leave your faith. So you'll just press into serving and serving and serving and doing and doing and doing and you'll be doing religious duty. And my concern is that sometimes we're filling our head with intellectual knowledge about God and we're filling our schedules with religious duty for God, but we haven't stopped to be with God and to actually know him. We know a lot about him and we're doing a lot for him, but, but we don't know him, we don't interact with him. And so if we're going to keep walking with Jesus, not burn out, not flame out, not deconstruct or or abandon or distract ourselves with our faith, we need to learn how and when to sit and serve. And in order to see this in Luke chapter 10, I just want to do a little discovery of Mary and Martha before we come back to Luke 10. So flip over to John chapter 11 with me to get a bigger picture of Mary and Martha. We're going to look at a couple passages here to just see their intimate relationship and interaction with Jesus. John chapter 11, verse 1 through 5. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I want you to notice right here as we go and as we're going to dive into talking more about Mary and Martha, that Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. His relational connection, this relational care for all three, two sisters and a brother, they live together. Jesus has fridge rights at their house. Throughout the gospel, we see when Jesus is in Bethany, which is near Jerusalem, when he's in the area, he's oftentimes at their house, just hanging out, kicking back, relaxing. Sometimes he's teaching and ministering to people. Other times, it's just like his safe place, his place to go. And he loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. As we talk about sitting at Jesus' feet, which Mary did, we're going to look at that in Luke 10, as we talk about serving, notice that Jesus loves Martha. He's not down on Martha. There's something happening in Luke 10 that, that he's warning against and using to show us how to foster a deeper relationship with him, but he has this deep, intimate love for Martha. If you're a Martha type, Jesus loves you. He's not asking you to become Mary. 
He's not asking you to change who you are or how you operate. He's, he, he's warning you against some things, but keep in mind, he loves his disciples deeply, intimately. Now, Jesus loved, verse 5, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Keep that in mind. Let's get a little more profile of Mary and Martha. Look over at verse 20. So in this story, Lazarus is sick. He's about to die. They send word to Jesus. Jesus is like, yeah, I'll get there later. Don't worry. Verse 4, I'm not going to spend time debating verse 4. A lot of churches would like spend the next half an hour here debating what that means. We're not going to do that. There's a time and a place to do that. We're not going to do that. It's not going to breed intimacy with God. What does it mean that this illness doesn't lead to death, that God allowed Lazarus to get sick so that he could be healed through Jesus and people could believe? I don't know. Jesus takes his time. Word comes to him, Lazarus is sick, he's about to die, and Jesus, it says that he, he just kind of lingered. He didn't rush to heal his friend. And in the process of Jesus being slow to get back to Bethany, Lazarus dies, And that's where we'll pick it up in verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. This is characteristic of these two, th- these two people, these two disciples. Martha, I'm going to go meet Jesus. I'm going to make sure he has everything that he needs. And I'm, I'm going to confront him a little bit about why he wasn't here sooner. And Mary's just hanging back, sitting, waiting. People handle grief differently. Their brother has just died. Martha's handling grief by running after Jesus by kind of coming to Jesus and questioning Jesus and, and, and asking Jesus questions. And she's busy. She's getting to work. She's dealing with her grief by going, going, going. Mary's dealing with her grief by sitting, sitting, sitting. Martha said to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She has faith. She's wired differently. She's a go-getter. She's active. She's a question asker. Jesus, if you had been here earlier, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know, I have faith, I believe that you could do something miraculous. If you ask God to raise my brother to make him well, he will rise again. Jesus answered her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha's like thinking theologically rather than relationally. Yes, I, I know that those who fall asleep are going to be resurrected. Those who die are going to be resurrected. Again, she's thinking theologically, not relationally. Jesus is there, though, and he's saying, your, your brother will rise again. You just wait. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Martha had faith. She believed in Jesus. She was learning to believe in Jesus day in and day out, experience after experience, miracle after miracle, disappointment after disappointment. She kept walking with Jesus. Good on Martha. She's an incredible disciple. Let's not throw her under the bus too quickly. Let's look at Mary. Flip over one more page if you're in the Pew Bible and let's look at verse 32 through 37. So Mary, remember, Martha's having this this conversation with Jesus. Mary's sitting back at the house and now Jesus makes it back and he's, he's in contact with Mary now and says, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. This is a characteristic of Mary. She falls at the feet of Jesus. Martha serves Jesus. Martha asks questions of Jesus. 
Martha wants to get her hands dirty and get busy doing things for Jesus and with Jesus and for other people, Martha falls down at Jesus' feet. She also questions him or just acknowledges the reality. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Your God is relationally connected to and aware of you and what you're going through. When you weep, he weeps. When you mourn, he mourns. When you rejoice, he rejoices. Look at the humanity here of Jesus. Deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Mary and Martha, whom I love, are mourning and grieving. And their friend group is mourning and grieving the death of a brother and a friend. Also, he's my friend, verse 34. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, one of the best verses in all of Scripture. Jesus wept. Jesus knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He, he knows how this is going to play out, yet he's moved to the emotion that Mary and Martha and the crew, the friend group, has over the death of Lazarus. He weeps with them. And so Jesus said, uh, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. I love that. Jesus loves his disciples. He walks with his disciples. See how he loved Lazarus? He loved him so much that he's weeping over his death. But some of them said, could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And so some people believe, some people see his compassion, his tenderheartedness, his relational connection, and, and they want to follow Jesus all the more. Other people are like, I don't know, none of this makes sense. It doesn't add up. And they actually plot to kill Jesus because he then, in the rest of this story, he will raise Lazarus from the dead. And so some people keep walking with Jesus at this point. Other people are like, nope, we're going to kill this guy. He's a threat. Not everything adds up in our religious mind that he's doing. It doesn't all fit within our categories. But notice Mary and Martha and their deep relational connection to and love for Jesus and his connection to and love for them. One more passage before we get back to John, uh, Luke chapter 10. Look at John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. He's there again in Bethany at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' place. This is, this is right before his crucifixion too. So this is a later date. Later than the one that we're reading about in Luke chapter 10. Um, and after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Six days before Passover, Jesus... Therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. They're hanging out, eating food. To be a disciple is to hang out and eat food. Amen? Amen? It's not to sit in a pew and listen to me talk at you. It's to hang out and eat food. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. I've heard that before. It's her personality, her wiring, her role in the family. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Familiar scene. 
Martha's serving, Mary's sitting. The house was filled with this fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. What? This disciple of Jesus, this guy in the the 12 walking with Jesus, he's stealing money from the disciples and from Jesus for himself, and he's claiming that that it's because he cares for the poor? Having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone, speaking of Mary. Mary putting ointment on Jesus' head and feet, about a year's salary worth. Just in perspective here. That's, that's Mary's heart of worship. Is that, I don't, yeah, this money could be used for a good cause, but right now I just want to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Jesus said, leave her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So there's a little profile of Mary and Martha. And in fact, in this story here in John chapter 12, notice that Jesus doesn't confront or condemn Martha's service. This is a later date. Jesus is back in their home. Martha's serving, Mary's sitting. Jesus doesn't say anything against Martha's serving and pro-Mary's sitting other than let Mary do what she's doing, let her express herself in worship, and it just notices that Martha is serving. Because the life of a disciple is to both sit and serve. There's a time and a place to sit, there's a time and a place to serve, and there's a different wiring of person who likes to sit more often, and in certain circumstances, and a different type of person who likes to serve more often, and in different type of circumstances. And so our job is to learn what it looks like for us to do both in a healthy, godly way. Remember, disciples keep walking with Jesus by learning when and how to sit and serve. I'm convinced here that Mary is doing the right thing here in John chapter 12, We know she's doing the right thing in Luke chapter 10 because Jesus tells us she is. But Martha seems to be doing the right thing here in John chapter 12 where she's not doing the right thing in Luke chapter 10. What's the difference? I think Luke chapter 10 is given to us to show us that there is a time and a way to both sit and serve. And so the question for us this morning, flip back to Luke chapter 10, is when is it time to sit? How do we know when it's time to, to, to sit at Jesus' feet? How do we know when it's time, when, when our serving has become like Martha's and we need to just simply sit at the feet of Jesus for a while? How do we know when it's time to sit? There's a couple indicators in our text here. The first one is that when responsibility has become greater than relationship. Look at verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. See, what's happening here in Luke chapter 10 is that Martha had invited Jesus and the disciples into her home, but she had neglected this relational connection to and commitment with Jesus for the responsibilities that had to be done. Responsibilities have to be done. Jesus isn't saying never serve. Don't don't care about hospitality. Don't care about hosting. Don't care about serving me. There's just something here in this moment where Martha has put her responsibilities before her relationships. 
the task list has become more important than, than the talking and the connecting. She's distracted. When it says that she's distracted in verse 40, that means pulled in many different directions. She has no devotion to one thing or to Jesus. She's distracted. She has so many different things going on, she can't give her best to anything. She's put her responsibilities before her relationship with God, with others. She's distracted. She doesn't have devotion. She's more concerned about the external provision than she is the internal connection. And so as you assess and think about your own life, when is it time to sit? It's when you find yourself putting responsibilities before a relationship. And that's not to say you shouldn't have responsibilities, you shouldn't do responsibilities, you shouldn't check things off your task list. And at some point, like, you have to say no to relationships every now and then. Like, I got some stuff to do. I'm sorry I can't hang out. I'm sorry I can't meet you now. Maybe tomorrow. Sometimes the relational connection does need to be put off to a different day. But if you're perpetually finding yourself putting responsibilities over relationship, that's probably a sign that it's time to sit. And by that, I mean with God and with others. If you find yourself doing more for God than you do sitting and abiding in him, it's probably time to sit. If you find yourself always putting your responsibility in work and at home before relationship with other people, it's probably time to sit for a bit. If your external provision for people has become more important than your internal connection with people, it's probably time to sit for a bit. I don't know how often I encounter this in, in couples counseling or when I was a youth pastor, like kids to their parents. Sometimes parents get so busy, or spouses get so busy working, so busy providing. I've, I've counseled both men and women in this, like, sometimes the man is so busy, so just working so hard to advance his career, to make more money, to provide his wife with everything that she thinks that she would want, and she's like, I miss you. Thank you for, for working harder and getting a promotion so that we have more financial security, but I don't want financial security, I want you! And it's flipped sometimes. Sometimes a wife is so busy working, so busy doing, so busy providing, and the husband's like, I, I miss you. Sometimes parents, they, they, there's this relational disconnect from their kids, and they think, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to provide more, I'm going to provide more, and the kids just want dad or they want mom. I want to spend time with you. That's great that you bought me a new boat, but you're never around to hang out on the new boat. I just want you. And so you know that it's time for you to sit for a bit if, if you sense your responsibilities outpacing or becoming greater than your relationships and if other people are pointing that out. Second indicator that we have from this text of when it's time to sit for a bit is when we're comparing more than we are complimenting. Comparing more than complimenting. Look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Then tell her to help me. People are wired differently. Martha, every indicator that we have of her in the scriptures is that she's, she's a worker bee. She likes to be busy. She's task-oriented. She cares about the responsibility. She cares about the details. And that's good and fine and right. God wires people that way. God gifts people that way. But what Martha is doing here in this experience that has to be cautioned against is she's comparing how she's wired with how her sister Mary is wired. 
Every interaction that we see between Mary and Jesus, Mary's like sitting, listening, she's learning, she's, she's the contemplative type. She's not the active, busy type, she's the contemplative type. And so the indicator for us that we see here in Martha is that if you start comparing yourself to others and expecting others to respond to Jesus the way that you're responding to Jesus or to serve Jesus in the way that you're serving Jesus, that's the indicator that it might be time to sit for a bit. You may need a time out. You you may just need to, to abide in Christ more. Stop doing for a while so that you could be with him. Another pastor calls this gift projection and or comparison. Like if you're, if you're the mercy type who, who cares about the hurting and the poor, and we all have to, right? We're supposed to. But some people are just uniquely in tune with like mercy ministry. And then sometimes you complain about everybody who's not uniquely gifted in that same way. Some people, you know, we all have different gifts and wirings. Supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, but also personality wirings. And the problem here is that Martha starts comparing. Look at all that I'm doing. Why aren't those people doing anything? Or look at all that those people are doing and I'm not doing anything. I guess I should be more like them. If you find yourself comparing yourself to your brothers and sisters in Christ and complaining about who they are and what they're doing or what they're not doing, rather than complimenting them and seeing them as a compliment to you, it's probably time to sit for a bit. Different roles, different responsibilities, different gifts, these are all given to the body for the glory of God, the good of others, and the advancement of his gospel. And a healthy body, a healthy person, a healthy disciple will will see the difference. They will see Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and say, that's admirable, that's awesome. I'm glad that she or he is abiding in Christ in that way. And a healthy person will see a, Mary, a Martha say, I'm so glad that they're serving. I'm so glad that they're taking care of the details. I'm so glad that they are driven towards responsibility. We need to help balance each other out and make sure that we don't fully press into the sinful side of how we're wired. This is an indicator that you know that it's time to sit for a bit if you're comparing more than you are complimenting third indicator here is if you find yourself requesting more of Jesus than responding to Jesus. Again, verse 40. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. How often do we do this? God, tell those people to care about this thing. Why doesn't my pastor, why doesn't my small group leader, why doesn't my friend, why don't my parents, why don't my kids, why don't my neighbors, why don't they care about these things? I care about them. Good Christians are supposed to care about these things. I'm busy doing all these things. God, why aren't they? If you find yourself requesting more of God and other people than than responding to the moment, it might be time for you to sit for a bit. There's, There's something here in this story where Mary is in tune with the more important need of the moment. Again, this isn't to teach us that we're never to serve and we're always to sit. There's something unique happening in this moment when Jesus is in their home and there's this intimate relational connection happening and Martha misses the opportunity. She misses responding to what Jesus is doing here and now in this moment because she's so busy with her own agenda, with her own task list, and she's requesting of Jesus what she thinks needs to be done. You ever done that? And if you find yourself doing that, it's time to sit. Stop serving for a while. 
Maybe you just signed up for a service team here at Park and you need to email your director and say, you know what, I'm out, do it. Church family, if, if we're serving without sitting, it's going to be a disaster for our faith and for our church and for our friends and for our family. And this is an indicator. If you're requesting more of God, if you're expecting more of him, if you're trying to tell Jesus what needs to happen, right? Isn't that what Martha's doing? She's telling Jesus what needs to happen. Tell Mary to do what I'm doing. Tell Mary to get in the kitchen and help me. Tell Mary to get in the foyer and help me clean up your dirty shoes. I don't know. And then the fourth indicator from this text that you may need to sit for a bit is if your worry is greater than your worship. Verse 41 and 42. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. For you are worried and troubled. You're distracted. You're driven in many different directions. You have this panic in your soul, this anxiety in your spirit. You're worried about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. If you're so concerned about doing God's job for him that you can't sit and let him be God, it's probably time to sit for a bit. If your anxiety is outpacing your, your love, you hearing God's affirming words spoke over you and being able to affirm other people in their gifting and giftedness, you're worried that everything's going to fall apart if you don't keep doing what you're doing, or if others don't join you in doing what you're doing, it's an indicator that it's time to sit for a bit. Just a couple more things, not from this text, but from my recent experience of going on sabbatical, just a few things that may be indicators that it's time for you to sit. Maybe you've grown apathetic towards God and other people and things that you usually care about. If you sense an apathy in your soul towards God, towards other people, and towards things that normally bring you joy, it's probably time for you to sit for a while. You're numbing yourself with things that you know don't satisfy. You keep binge-watching something on Netflix, and you're like, I, I feel dead inside afterward, but eh. It's probably time to sit for a bit at the feet of Jesus, not on the couch. If people who know you well are calling you out in love, saying, hey, I'm concerned, you're, you're really busy, you seem distracted, it doesn't seem like you're connecting, it's probably time to sit for a bit. Now, How? right? Okay, that's great. Most of us know that we need to sit for a bit, that we need to slow down, right? I mean, we just know we're on this perpetual hamster wheel of busyness and hurry in our life and our culture and even our religious practice. And so I think most people know, yes, yeah, I probably need to sit for a bit. I, I can identify with, oh, the screen's not back there anymore. I can identify with some of the things on the left side of this list. I need to sit for a bit, but how? I don't know how to sit. I'm not the type who's going to stare at a river for 14 hours. That seems boring. I'm not the type who's going to read a bunch of books and theological textbooks. That seems boring. What does it look like to sit? And you have to learn how to sit. Learning how to sit requires discovering your unique and authentic relationship with Jesus. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, learning from him. Martha is busy serving. Every indicator that we get of these two throughout the Gospels is that Martha continued to be a server, and Mary continued to be a sitter. Martha continued to put tasks. She, was a, she just cared about the tasks and the details, and Mary seemed to care less about those things. And, and, and I think both of them, they had to learn how to sit at Jesus' feet in their own way. 
for Martha to become more like Mary didn't mean that she stopped caring. I mean, we saw that in John chapter 12, right? Jesus is in the home, Martha's serving. But she had to learn how to sit in, in a way that worked for her. She had to discover her unique and authentic relationship with Jesus. All of us are wired differently. All of us have a different style of connecting to Jesus. When I went on sabbatical, my first week on sabbatical, I went up to do a silent prayer retreat at a hermitage by myself in the woods, and I thought I was going to fast and read and pray and spend time on my face before God because that's what you do, right? If you're holy and you want to have a good relationship with God, you fast and you read and you pray. And so I got up there, and I'm like, all right, God, let's do this. What do you want me to do? And I felt like God said, Andrew, what do you want to do? And I'm enough, like I have enough of a conservative and a reformed background that I'm like, that's not the right question. God, you can't ask me what I want to do. Right? I'm only supposed to do what you want. I'm your servant. And he was like, yeah, but I also call you friend. What do you want to do, friend? And I was like, if I'm honest, I want to go fish, and I want to cook brats over a fire, and Jesus was like, well, let's do that together. And that was so healthy for my soul. That's how I sat with Jesus for three days. I went out, and I fished, and I sat by a fire, and I cooked brats over the fire, and it was amazing, and Jesus and I had such a good time together, and it was so much better for my soul than had I tried to plow through. I brought a stack of books this big. I read this much of them. And so I had to learn, for me, sitting, it meant actually standing and walking through the woods. It meant like balancing myself in a canoe as I cast for bass on the shoreline. That was life-giving to me. And it may be different for you. Maybe you're the type who wants to sit still and reflect and read and think deeply. Maybe you're the type who wants to adventure. you got to learn how to connect with Jesus. I'm reading a book right now by a guy named David Benner. The book is called The Gift of Being Yourself. In it, he writes, relationships develop when, when people spend time together. Spending time with God ought to be the essence of prayer. However, as it is usually practiced, prayer is more like a series of emails or instant messages than hanging out together. God wants our presence, even if it feels like a waste of potentially productive time. That is what friends do together. They waste time with each other. Simply being together is enough without expecting to get something from the interaction. God longs for us to experience an intimate knowing of him that comes by means of an ongoing relationship. And those of you skeptical of this book title, like I was, you're probably the people who need to read this book the most. I know how like the, you know, kind of the head, heady, rich People think about stuff like this, and my concern is that oftentimes we're filling our heads with knowledge and we're filling our schedules with religious duty, but we're lacking to abide in Jesus and to learn who we are and what it looks like for us to be with Jesus and what it looks like for us to develop a friendship. John 15, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. And that's the paradox, that's the tension. We are his servants still, but Jesus says, I call you friends. I want to spend time with you. And so you got to learn how to spend time with me. you got to learn how to sit, figure out what works for you, and do it. So that's a little bit about learning when and how to sit. What about when and how to serve? Disciples keep walking with Jesus by learning when and how to sit and serve. Well, learning how to serve, or when to serve, here's all I'll tell you about it that I think comes right from Luke chapter 10. Start serving after sitting at Jesus' feet, once you've experienced the presence of God and the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is teaching us here in Luke chapter 10, looking at Mary and Martha. He's not saying to stop serving, 
that if you're wired as a Martha to become a Mary, and if you're wired as a Mary to become a Martha, the point is that there's a certain way to serve after you've spent time with Jesus in a way that works for you to spend time with Jesus. Sit at his feet, whatever that looks like for you. And experience his presence and the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. And you're ready to serve after doing that. Don't put the cart before the horse. Don't become a human doing. Be a human being. Don't do so much for God that you lose God in the process. Build a relationship with Jesus. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to have interaction with you. Not to just give you information about himself. He wants to join you in the mess. He wants to join you in the joy. And so, serve after you've sat with him. And then how do you serve? In a very similar manner. You just put your unique and authentic personality and spiritual gifts into action by the power of the Holy Spirit. The way that you serve is vastly different, probably, than the way that your spouse serves or the way that your roommate serves, or the way that your parent serves, or the way that your friend serves, or even the way that your spiritual role model and discipler or mentor serves. You gotta figure out, how's God wired me? Just, like, by nature and nurture, what are some of my tics, my habits, my wirings, my personalities, my Enneagram type, my Myers-Briggs, my strength finders, whatever, do all that, and then figure out, okay, this is kind of how I'm put together, how I'm wired, but then God has also given me supernatural spiritual gifts for the good of building up his body, and I am going to be authentic to who God has created me to be, and I'm going to serve in the way that he's wired me to serve. I can't serve like the person next to me. I can't serve like them. I can't serve like them. Maybe there's, there's some things that they're doing that I need to help out with, but I got to figure out how has God wired me to serve. We're all different. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that God has given many different gifts to the body to build us up into one. And so you need to serve in a way that is true to who you are and who God has created you to be for his glory, for the good of his people and the advancement of his gospel. And so this morning as we close down the sermon and take communion, I want us to just look back at Luke chapter 10, verse 41 and 42. Jesus says to Martha in her anxiety and in her worry, Martha, Martha, put your own name in there. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Choose the good portion, which will never be taken from you. Jesus' words to us, a busy, stressed out, comparing generation is not to kill the Martha inside of us and become a Mary, but it's to prioritize relationship with him. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Jesus says, I have come for those who are anxious. I have come for those who are troubled, those who are burdened and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. But Mary has chosen the good portion, the necessary thing, the deep well of relationship with me which will not run dry. Jesus' use of the good portion imagery here in this text comes from Old Testament passages like Lamentations 3. 
verse 23, which says, Yahweh, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Or Psalm 16, 5, Yahweh, the Lord, is my portion in my cup. He holds my lot. Psalm 23, Psalm 73, 26, my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jesus is saying, come to me, I am the good portion. I am the, the bread of life, the cup of forgiveness, the drink of living water. Come to me and drink deeply from me and this will never be taken from you. There is one thing necessary, church family, for life and godliness. That's to sit at the feet of Jesus and drink deeply from his cup of blessing. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to just spend some time sitting at the feet of Jesus as we take communion and remember that he is the bread of life and the cup of forgiveness. There's communion packets in the pew in front of you, and we invite you to take communion, remembering who Jesus is and what he's done in your place on your on your behalf and that he's invited you into relationship with him. So as the team plays this morning, take communion and reflect and spend time at Jesus' feet, fostering an intimate relationship with God, your heavenly father. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. I thank you that you've called us friends, that you desire relationship with us, that you value our being over our doing. Lord, when we tend to, to evaluate ourselves off of our performance, off of our duty, off of our doing, when the world tends to evaluate us off of our doing, off of our, our duty, off of what we can produce, you invite us into a deeper life of being, being known by you and knowing you. May you grow that in us for your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.